0: Friend, last week was episode 25 of the You're Welcome podcast. Five months of my writing a script, coming to this podcast studio, and spending this time with you each week. Since our first episode launched back in April, we've had almost 250,000 downloads. My episodes are not bite-sized, so that means a quarter of a million times someone has hung out for 30 or 40 minutes to have a conversation on making their life better which makes me so gosh darn excited about humanity because these aren't topics of fluff or gossip. You're here to be a more joyful, less overwhelmed, more inspired human, which means you're taking that into your marriage, friendships, parenting, office, church. To celebrate this milestone, I wanna give away a bunch of gifts to this tribe just in thanks for showing up every week and in a way that invites more people to these conversations. So starting today through next Wednesday, we are doing a giveaway every day One to someone who leaves a review on iTunes. If you're one of the 700 plus who already have, then you are entered. But since 10 to 15,000 of you listen to our most popular episodes, that's a bunch more folks who could be telling strangers on iTunes that, hey, this podcast could bless your life. And we'll do one giveaway each day to someone who shares on Instagram stories, as that's been the most commonplace I've seen you share, so it seems super organic and natural for you to tell friends there. And I'll announce them on my Instagram profile each day, because if you leave a review, we don't have a way to contact you. So I'll update the caption each day, even if there wasn't a new photo that day, to include more winners. And if you've won on stories, we'll DM you. Because after all, people are always afraid of missing out, right? Are they missing out on wisdom for healing their anxiety, getting through a breakup, travel or business or style advice, they can rest easy because you, my dear, are doing your part to make sure they hear about the gift that is this podcast every week. And speaking of kindness, that's what this very special episode today is all about. It is very dear to my heart, and I can't wait for you to listen in. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, love. So today we are doing an episode that was one of the first I ever brainstormed when I was dreaming about this podcast, and that is how to be a good friend in grief. A while back, I was doing a Q&A on Instagram, and my friend Isabel asked a question that I didn't answer at the time, which is, what's the most surprising thing about being married? And the honest answer is I had no idea how terrified I would be. That something will happen to Jeremy. I, for my whole life, have lived in fear that something will happen to my dad, that my dad will pass away. He's nine years older than my mom, so that seemed logical. And he was at my wedding this past February, and that was so wonderful. I was so thankful that he was there. But it wasn't just solved by, oh, now I now I, I don't have to worry about being single. Now I have a husband, or oh great, my dad was a part of this milestone, this will lessen. Instead, it's ramped up to overtime. Now, it is not just my dad, but my mom and Jeremy, which is a podcast for another day. But what I found myself doing, which is not actually helpful, was researching grief. It's like I thought if I could prepare myself for grief, then maybe I wouldn't be so terrified of it. If you don't know Nora McInerney, she's the author of the Hot Young Widows Club, the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking podcast, She is one of my stalkery girl crushes. She is hilarious, and she teaches on grief. And she just came out with a course on grief a couple months back, and I sent her this DM. Nora, I am a newlywed and terrified of something happening to my husband. He is in perfect health, by the way. This is purely my anxiety. As someone who has gone through grief, I'm curious if you feel that studying it before would have helped you navigate it better, aka I almost want to take your course, Which i think is probably a bad all capitals idea and would only make my neuroses worse feel free to answer in a post if you have thoughts as well i may be more neurotic i don't think i'm alone in this fear does practicing for grief make it any less horrific discuss and she is the bomb.com so she sent me back this video message so for the next 15 seconds Nora mcinerney my girl crush is a guest on the you're welcome podcast practicing your own grief does not make it any less horrific trust me i used to imagine my parents dying My dad died. I guess my dad's my parent. I imagine, like, literally everyone in my family dying all the time. But my dad died. Was not prepared. So I'm trying to stop learning how to grieve. Cue my cute newlywed husband coming in the door. Like, what are you doing, babe? Me curled up on the couch. Oh, just reading a book on how to get through life if you die first. (laughs) Yeah, so not doing that. But still not fully healed. So when my friend Ashley Lemieux was over a few weeks back, I asked if she had any advice on how to be a good friend in grief. I figured, number one, if I could share her insights, it might help me to feel like I've at least equipped the people in my life for if and when these things happen to me. And two, I could use my neuroses for good, like my superhuman powers, in learning how to help others. Ashley's insights were so freaking good, I wrote them down, repeated them to Jeremy when she left, saying, we need to be these friends, babe and then proceeded to interview four other friends on the topic. So the advice you're hearing today is not from me. It's from people who have gone through a miscarriage, through losing their children, the anguish of calling off a wedding, the agony of going through a divorce, and the pain of losing a parent or an especially close grandparent. And here's the deal. If you choose to keep listening to this episode, You can't go back to the world before you heard these things. Because the absolute number one first thing out of their mouth from every single person was, quote, everyone disappeared. And we're going to talk about why and what to do instead. And these people extended grace for their friends, knowing grief is hard and messy and people panicked and got awkward and didn't know what to do. But after today, you will know what to do. So we don't deserve their grace if the next time someone in our life is in the pit of grief. And we don't do our best to show up. And do you know what no one said? People did it wrong. They made it awkward. They reached out too much. They said the wrong thing. Okay, there was one instance of that. But 99% of the time, it wasn't that we did it wrong. It's that we didn't do anything at all. So, I'm telling you in advance that all of the insights I'm gonna share next, the key is to simply be. Be there, be present. And now that we know better, we can do better. So, number one is to be there. Just climb into their bed and let them cry. You can't make it positive. It isn't going to be okay. Don't say that it is. Don't look for silver linings. One friend said, Someone to listen, a shoulder to cry on, a non judgmental quiet stillness, a pillar of strength when it feels desolate. Also, be there, as in physically, actively there. One of my friends said they stopped going to church for a season because it was just too painful, and her husband would go and we get asked, How is she? And it's like that question shows that you haven't shown up because you don't know. You're only asking because you ran into him. That's not the same thing as really caring in which you would have physically shown up to see for yourself. So number one is simply be present. Number two is let there be grief, which has to do with talking and what we say. Don't be uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. It does not feel comfortable to sit in grief, to witness grief. It feels awkward. We want to get past it, move through it, fix it, get to the other side. But they cannot heal unless they grieve. Let them grieve. Give up your comfort, your desire to be in control, to fix, to want to move on to more happy, hopeful feelings. Let your heart break with theirs. Know that logic doesn't help. Yes, you've listened to the You're Welcome podcast, and you know that we can be in control of our thoughts and choose to change and take baby steps to overcome our anxiety. But, quote, work harder doesn't help in grief. Grief doesn't feel like a choice. So, as much as it scares you to see someone else who is strong and capable be weak and broken, as helpless as you feel, don't try to coach them out of their grief. And take cues from them not from yourself, as to whether or not they want to talk about it. My sister-in-law, Dania, who had a miscarriage, said she felt like no one wanted to mention it as though mentioning it would make her remember, when, of course, she couldn't forget for a second. She wanted to talk about this little life, this baby with a name, this person that she hadn't met but had spent so much time with. But on the other hand, she also knows of a family friend who lost a child, an older child, and never wants to talk about it. So, take your cues from them, but try. And if you find out they don't want to, cool, you don't have to again, but at least make the effort that you're okay talking about it. Number two is let there be grief. Make it okay for them to be in grief and for them to talk to you about their grief. Number three is stay present. Tell them you are truly there to talk anytime. I had a friend go through a divorce recently and I told her, hey, I know this isn't going to be over in a week, so know that I won't get sick of hearing about this. I won't think you should be over this by now or have moved on or talking about it too much. A month from now, a year from now, you can talk to me about a new fear or grief or loss or weirdness. I won't have moved on. My friend Jen said, I didn't know how to ask hey, can I just leave you voice memos sometimes just to verbal process and be heard? Just telling someone that they can do that opens up the space. Check in on them regularly. It could be a thinking of you text. It could be asking, how's it going today? Because it's different than it was yesterday, though I just asked then. It's less overwhelming than just the broad general, how's it going? My friend Ashley said people would ask, how's it going? And it, that feels like you have to fast forward or zoom out. It's like, I don't even know. But how's it going today? I can answer just day by day. Or maybe, how's it really going? If you need to vent or scream or be ugly, I'm okay with that. Ask if there's anything I can do. Even if the answer is no, they were thought of. So stay present. Even when they aren't responding. Even when it seems like nothing you're, you're offering is being taken up on. Stay present. Number four is take action. Sending a small gift, say a candle. And you might be thinking, gosh, how will this help? This feels so insufficient. But it reminds them they're not alone and they're loved. Sending a card. It doesn't have to be the perfect words, but they were thought of. Dropping off flowers. Maybe you text and say, if you want company or a hug, I'm here. If you don't, I'm just going to drop these off on your front door I'm going to go get coffee nearby for the next hour if you get this. That way there isn't pressure, but there's an invitation. You can book someone a massage or acupuncture or a facial if you know they like those things. You can have someone come to their house if they're too weak to leave to go to that spa. One friend described it as, think of their love language. How do they show love? Show that back. Which I personally would probably overthink, be afraid I'm doing the wrong thing, and then not do. So let's not do that. But maybe we start to ask people more. We learn our friends better. A friend said, ask their husband or wife what would make them feel loved. Reach out to a friend you think is closer to them and might know them better. And this is one of the biggest ones I never would have thought of. <clears throat> Full disclosure, I cried all the way through writing today's episode. and had every conversation that I had uh, creating it. So surprise I've held it together this long but this one just really broke my heart um Ashley which by the way Ashley is my friend that lost their children if you're not familiar with her I'll link her Instagram below and uh, you can read her story in their panned IG stories um but Ashley said that for weeks after she lost her children she just couldn't get out of bed and her sister came over to make them dinner and there was nothing in the cabinet Going to the store was traumatic because she used to be shopping for a family of four and buying certain foods that the kids liked. It's an errand they would run together. So they literally just had no food in the house. Another friend said the idea of having to make small talk with the checkout clerk was just too much when she felt like she could cry at any second, cause a scene, feel embarrassed. So just going to the grocery store felt like too much. My sister-in-law, Dania, said she had just one friend bring over a meal And it happened to be on the night she physically miscarried. I'll link her Instagram below as well because she shares about miscarriage if that's something you want to relate on. Um, She didn't know the night that she would physically miscarried. And it just happened to be that day. And it blessed them so much to have a healthy, nourishing meal when they couldn't function enough just to have to decide what you're going to order from delivery. And Ashley said when she finally dragged herself out of bed one day to take a shower, she got in and the water wouldn't turn on. She asked her husband, Mike, did we pay the water bill? He said, probably not. Because getting the mail was part of the routine with her kids. It was something they did with the dog on the way home from school. In Arizona, it wasn't in their, their driveway, but at the end of their block. They just hadn't thought to go check the mail. So friend, let's check their mail. Let's pay their bills. Clean their house. Have groceries delivered. Bring meals help them function when they literally cannot function. I think one of the reasons it makes me so emotional is because I realize I'll share later some of the things that I have done that people have told me were so appreciated, but I haven't done this one. I haven't thought about action in those moments. And it it's so basic. It's so real. It's such a practical way anyone can do this. And you don't have to have the perfect thing to say or you don't have to have all the money, but... Just really making sure that the next time this happens to one of my friends, I just physically show up and make sure that their house is clean and they are fed and their water is on and their electricity is on. So number four is to take action. Number five is keep staying present. Resume your normal friendship in that you invite them to do things or send them articles or podcasts, however you interacted before. Even if they don't respond or they decline to the invitation to go to dinner, again, they're being thought of. They're not alone. And it makes it so much easier to ease back into life, to remember life is there when you're ready, that your friends are indeed there when you're ready. Maybe they don't take you up on the first offer to go on a walk, but the fifth time you ask, they do have the strength to leave the house. But if you had stopped after the first time, No one's asking again. So keep staying present. Number six is a bonus, which is always stay sensitive. I don't feel like I should have to say this because this tribe is so kind. But for example, a friend who had her wedding called off said she received texts from people who hadn't reached out in months and didn't even start with checking in on how she was doing and launched right into hey, I just got engaged and I know you were having your wedding in California, which is where we are, and I wondered if you had any venue suggestions. She said, it's like asking someone who had a miscarriage which stroller they were going to buy. Like, dude, Google it. Ask somebody else. Like, how many people in your life have advice on, you know, stroller recommendations? How many articles on there are venues in California? Like, don't come to me. Have some tact. My friend Ashley, the one who lost her children, said she gets asked all the time if they're going to adopt more children. She's told that someone's praying for her that she can get pregnant without asking if she's trying or has had trouble, which she isn't and she hasn't, sending them photos of children to adopt, the the children that they lost were adopted. All of this has the implication that they could just find a new child to replace their old children. Back to Nora McInerney who lost her husband and wrote the Hot Young Widows Club, she is now remarried, and she is still grieving her late husband and shares about that. And her current husband is still grieving that he is no longer married to his children's mother and that they don't all get to be one family unit in that way. A new spouse doesn't just replace the old one. But on the upside, a lot of people also shared that the friends who were there are now closer. The friends who wanted to be in your life were willing to walk with you in grief are still there and stay in touch. A friend who lost her best friend in a divorce, one of those, that person just disappeared, she found a different friend that she's now close with through that same process. And I'll share two stories in a minute about times when I wasn't the closest person to someone and yet we became closer because I was there. So remember that it doesn't have to be your quote-unquote role as best friend to be invited to be there. Just be there and know that that will lead to beautiful friendships that are based on real, true life things being formed. Another friend said, I heard from people I hadn't talked to in a long time when my dad died and I didn't feel resentful. Like, oh, well, now you're there. I felt happy. Like I was cared for by more people than I see on a monthly or yearly basis. It could feel like they only came out of the woodwork because it was something big, but I chose to trust that it showed the love was there, even though they had been busy and we drifted apart, that they'd been rooting for me all along. And that was really helpful to me because I had a best, best friend I parted with years ago. I talked about that back in episode one of this podcast. And a couple years later, I heard that she'd gone through a devastating grief. And I almost reached out by email and to say I was so sorry. I was so heartbroken for her. And I chose not to because I thought maybe if I put myself in her shoes, I might feel like, no, you are not there for the good. You don't get to be here in the bad and feel like you're being this nice person and get an adrenaline rush off of it, which is a super jaded thought. And I like my friend Jen's perspective much more to lead with love, choose love, believe it will be received with love. And even if it isn't. That was genuinely your heart. So let's not tell ourselves that we aren't close enough to that person. Someone else is reaching out. We haven't talked to them in too long. If they're on your heart, just reach out and lead with love and believe that that will be received. I want to say again that every one of the five friends I talked with started the conversation with, quote, all our friends deserted us. We were in a small group at church. We'd been together for a couple of years. They were the first people we told, and only one person ever reached out to me. I felt like I couldn't go back. Quote, one of my closest friends abandoned me, completely ghosted. Quote, a lot of quote-unquote friends dropped off, never reached out, avoided eye contact when I saw them socially, turned, and walked the other way. It was heartbreaking, like I had done something wrong. Quote, honestly, pretty much everyone disappeared. My family were the only people really there for us. And they were going through as much grief as we were. So even then, it's not like we could take care of each other as well because we were all in such grief. End quote. I lost one of my best friends. Like, friends for a decade. She just stopped talking to me. So why do we do this? The friends I spoke with are so sweet and kind that without prompting, they all immediately extended grace. They said, number one, ultimately, I want to believe they panicked and didn't know what to say. A called-off wedding is so awkward. No one knows what to say, so they just get awkward and panic and say nothing. And then too long has passed, and so they just fade away. Number two, a divorce with shared friends is so awkward. People don't want to choose sides, so they don't choose, which ultimately means they're choosing whichever spouse will throw them into the gauntlet and show up at things. This reminds me of a line from the musical Into the Woods in which Cinderella sings, I know what my decision is, which is not to decide. She'll leave one shoe and leave it up to the prince if he wants to chase her instead of her deciding to fully stay or go. So the friends make you choose. If you're not strong enough to go to the social event that they've also invited your ex to, then it's up to you that you're alone rather than people actually acknowledging they're going through a hard time. I should make the choice not to decide, meaning I will actively continue to choose them both. I will set aside times when it's just with one, when it's just with the other, when they both aren't coming here. I will protect them both rather than stepping back and saying, oh, I'm just not going to decide. Number three, another friend said, when my father died, I felt like perhaps a lot of my friends hadn't dealt with their own fear and grief. Maybe they had lost a parent or were afraid of losing one, so they just couldn't be around to help me in my present because they were stuck in their past or future. And number four, friends who were also pregnant were the ones who disappeared the most. It's like they were afraid miscarriage was contagious or that their joy would bring me more pain. But I knew they were pregnant. I was so acutely aware of it. I knew the due dates. I saw the baby photos. It wasn't going to be hidden from me just because they were hiding. All their hiding did was make me more alone. So friend, I mentioned this once before on the podcast episode six on dating, that if you're single, you should be in therapy. Not because you're single, but because it will make you even better and your marriage even better when you do meet someone. I am so thankful that I did a lot of therapy before I met Jeremy. And friend, you should now also be in therapy around your grief and fear of grief. Not because you're going through something right now, but because you're still affected by your past more than you know. You have more fears than you know, and it will make you a better or worse friend. I am such a fan of us doing this work so that we can love the people around us better. We can show up better, not because we're broken and we need fixing, but because we can all be better. And I guess I shouldn't have been so surprised that the first thing everyone said was that people disappeared. Three years ago, I had a very casual friend. We saw each other at church, but I think we'd only been to brunch one time in like a year and a half of knowing each other, not a close friend. But I saw her at an event and we ended up having a really honest conversation in which she confided that she'd called off her engagement. And I'm going to share two stories here. And I don't want it to sound like I'm sharing them to make myself sound good, although hey, if being a good friend in grief is one of the things I can brag about, I will take that. But I just think these are good practical examples of what it looks like and reminders that it is not just when it's your very best friend who goes through this. So this friend, we talked on a Wednesday at this event, and the next Wednesday she was hosting something at her house. And I thought, I'm going to go so that we can continue the conversation and that I can continue to show that support. Like we had this vulnerable conversation, I'm going to show up again. It ended up, by the way, that Jeremy was there, and at that time, I felt like we liked each other, but we hadn't really talked outside of church, and that was the first time we kind of, like, saw each other socially. So bonus, when you're a good human, sometimes other good things will happen. And then uh, the next week, there was something, and a friend had canceled. We were at this event, and I texted her to see if she had a seat next to her, and ended up that the seat next to her that was empty happened to be next to Jeremy, Um. And so then he ended up asking me out, et cetera. Um, But after that event, she asked me to get drinks around the corner for her birthday with her and just a couple other girls because I was just there. I was present. I had texted and asked if I could sit with her. And therefore, I was right there. And it was like, oh, why don't you just come with us? Um, After that, she started doing a lot of traveling and she was gone for quite a few months. And I would just keep in touch, and I would simply text and say, I'm thinking about you. How are you doing? And months went by, and I remember her saying at one point that I was one of only four people, four or five people, who had consistently reached out. And one of the others was my friend Georgia, who also was not one of her best friends. And when I shared that with Georgia that she had said that, we both felt so heartbroken at, we were not the closest people to this girl. Where were all of her close friends? So I guess I shouldn't have been surprised when I texted a friend to ask their advice for this podcast, a friend that also was not one of my absolute closest friends at the time that she went through her grief. And she replied at the end, I don't know if I've ever thanked you, Hillary, but you were one of the very few who just offered to be there, to listen, to cry with, to vent. I never took you up on your offer, but it's the offer that counts. To know I had people in my life praying, willing to stand in the gap. And the fact that you were planning your own wedding and could just pause and grieve with me makes me want to cry. You texted me something that has served as a reminder as I entered into a new season. Something that I saved in my notes section that I reflect on a lot. It's so beautifully written. I'm going to read this, and if you are someone who is grieving and this at all serves you, you can screenshot the time signature when I'm done and come back and listen anytime. And I'll also put this written text in the description below. And for context, this would not be for someone who has experienced a death, but someone who has experienced more of a loss, like a divorce or broken engagement. That you have a picture of an incredible life. It's in watercolors or oil paint where you can't make out any details. You just see and feel that it's more beautiful than you could dare to imagine. It gives you goosebumps. and makes you want to dance. It's so, so good. And God is telling you that he's unfolding that. To trust him, even when it makes no logical sense. That where there is incomparable pain, it is actually something you will thank him for down the road. Because it's creating the best life he has for you. The life you really want. And anything you lose now is simply because he's such a good father that he has something even better. Even if you thought you had everything you wanted, he has more. And he's so good, he'll take away what's good, even when it breaks our hearts, to give us something great. (laughs) She wrote, I mean tears every time I read it. That was the light at the end of my tunnel. Hope when I thought all hope was lost, I ugly cried all the way to work. Reading that that day, eight eighteen eighteen, I have it saved, and I knew deep down I was going to be okay. So thank you for being one of the few that reached out. It meant everything to me, and I also want to say, with that vision, that it's a very different vision. Of course, if you are going through something that can be replaced, if you are going through. Um a, a divorce or um, or a miscarriage. I don't mean to misuse the word replace, but um just to pause and acknowledge that someone who has um, has experienced a death that that wisdom wouldn't apply. So thanks for your grace and understanding the purpose for that. But I didn't do any of the practical things I now know to do, which I will put in the description below so that you can review them. I have them saved on my notes app. review so they become like muscle memory and this episode is here for you to listen to again when you need it. I didn't let my being newly in love or planning my own wedding make me feel guilty that I had joy in the very area these two women had pain. I didn't realize that I was doing anything extraordinary. I mean I literally was just sending a few text messages and it breaks my heart But that was the most people were doing. And knowing that now, next time, I will do so much more. And a final note, my friend Jen said, have these conversations with the people you love. She said that when she met her husband, he had dogs that were his children. He adored them. And she knew that in marrying him, at one point the dogs were going to die. And so it's actually something they talked about in their premarital counseling was, how do you want me to support you in that? Like, I know this is something that we're going to, th- to go through. And that would never have crossed my mind to do with Jeremy or with anyone else in my life. And the, the person may not know, and it may change. If they haven't been through grief, they might, may not know how they're going to be and what they're going to want to need. But at least it's a foundation of love. And I think it's a really beautiful conversation to start having with the people in your life. So please share this episode. Share it with the people in your life so they can love you better when you need it. Share it with your husband, sister, best friend, and say, hey, let's be these people. Share it with your small group, your mom's group, to say, let's all be people who would do this better and help each other be better as friends. Guys, I cannot think of anything more heartbreaking than the stories that my friends here have been through. Miscarriage, loss of a child, called off engagement, divorce, death of a parent, except going through it alone. They gave us grace, you and I, because we haven't been through grief and we didn't always know better how to love them. We got nervous and scared and awkward, but now we do. And more than any episode I've recorded, I truly pray this means that we made the world a little better and safer together in this time today. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't oh, miss this before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately. In addition to the theme song for this podcast, which I have a feeling feels super out of place in an episode like today, we're like, hey, happy tunes. But something I'm loving lately is how I've made the choice in all of these conversations around fear to choose more joy, to be grateful that now I know how to be a better friend and that people who love me listen to this podcast. So should I experience grief, they'll know how to and that I'm choosing more joy, that instead of living in fear of, well, I regret I didn't call or text or see my parents more, I'm working to do those things. We're making more travel plans. I keep telling them I want to prioritize that, so not to fill up their calendars without us also getting family time on there. Um, my friend Lindsay's daughter is in the hospital with a traumatic brain injury. Uh, you may have seen me share on Instagram about her, and you can find that on my feed. But Lindsay shared something poignant the other day that I want to read just a part of. I can say for certain, no amount more would have been enough. If I had tucked Ava in every night of her life, if I had said I loved her one more time, if I had played Minecraft with her one more last time instead of picking up the house, it still wouldn't have been enough. I am not getting so much of this right, but the one thing I feel you might need to hear from me and from Ava today is let yourself off the hook. Let yourself off the hook for if you had just called your mom one last time, or said that one apology, or done that one thing. Now don't get me wrong, say you're sorry, love your kids, be present with your people, but don't get trapped in the should I, would I, could I. I am praying with all that I am that I will have many more opportunities to tuck Ava in and to say yes or ahem no to Minecraft. But if that doesn't happen, I can guarantee that having done those things one million times would not make the pain of today any less. So for me and E to whoever needs it, guilt and fear are not your friend. Let yourself off the hook. So let's not come from a place of fear. I'm not going to start calling my parents every day. I'm not going to start texting my husband. I love you once an hour on the hour. But let's come from a place of abundance. I want to live in a way that I love the people in my life so well that I won't ever be able to say, I wish I could have loved them better. I love them lots. So truly, with joy and hope, let's go love our people a lot this week. Oh, goodness, that's not all. Tell them one more thing, Hillary. PPS. Speaking of spreading love, quick reminder that I'm sending gifts to folks who leave a review or share on IG stories to celebrate our 25th episode every day for the next week. So go spread love and I will send it right back and post all those winners in my IG caption daily. I'm so, so honored that you're here. Let's invite some more friends to the party. Till next Wednesday.